You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. And so today I'm reading um, Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45, and then I'm going to read Mark chapter 11, um, verse 1 to 11. The request of James and John. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let, us, let, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in, in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup I can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am, I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to, to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we're going to go to um, Mark chapter 11, verse verse 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as a king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to, to two of his disciples, um, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, Some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they had brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their coats out on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thank you, Ben. And now shall we just pray for Chris while, while he comes speak to us about that. Oh, Lord. Thank you for Chris and his insight into the passage this morning. 
I pray that you foster in us some nutritious and good and rich soil so that our faith may grow um, in what he preaches. Um, and Lord, enlighten us as to how you would like us to respond to your word this week. Amen. The King and the Kingdom. Uh, there's things we've been getting wrong for years. Things we've been getting wrong for years. Apparently, carrots do not improve our eyesight. During the Second World War, the British didn't want the Germans to know that we had radar, so they spread propaganda to say that our pilots could see so well because of the carrots, and everyone believed it. The Great Wall of China is not the only man-made object visible in space. You can see highways and dams much better than the Great Wall of China because of its colour it blends in with the rest of the earth. The colour red does not get bulls riled up. Bulls are colourblind. The reason they get angry is when the matador waves the red cloth, it's because of the wave in motion. Also, the bulls have usually been starved and abused in the process as well. We get things wrong all the time. I've tried to get in the wrong car in a car park, and that's not because I was trying to rob it. I came out of a supermarket, and I went to get in the car, and it was locked, and I realised that it looked like my car. It wasn't my car, only to turn behind me and see Cathy and the kids laughing at my <laughs> wrongdoings. Um, how many times have you put down the wrong phone number, or you've, you've got the wrong pin in your head? How many times have you got someone's name wrong? How many times have you got the wrong date or event? You might not know this, but I got something wrong this morning. I was actually meant to start the service off, not Catherine. And poor Catherine was a bit flustered when I said, you go up. Only two minutes in, I realised it should have been me. So I apologise, Catherine, you handled it really well. How many times have you got wrong the bin that's meant to be put out? And then just as you see the bin lorry come, you make a mad dash and put the right bin out. We get things wrong all the time. Often they're little things and they don't make much of a difference, but sometimes they can be really big things that have huge consequences. At the end of the Second World War, a conference was held in Potsdam in Germany. The Allies had put together terms for Japanese surrender. These terms were debated by the Japanese government. Uh, and the Japanese government came up with a word called, uh, excuse my pronunciation to our huge Japanese following, uh, but it was Mokusatsu, which can be translated, they were giving it some serious consideration. Unfortunately, because uh, Japanese is a sort of language, the word Mokusatsu was instead wrongly translated back to Harry Truman, the president of the USA, as not worthy of comment. Ten days later, an atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Sometimes getting it wrong has devastating consequences. Now in the passages that we had read today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see James and John get something horribly wrong. Jesus puts it beautifully right. And then we're going to think, how then do we respond to this servant king? Before we do that, let's just have a word of prayer. 
Father God, this is a, a wonderful day in the Christian calendar, a day to celebrate the victory of Christ. I pray that you would give us a joy beyond measure this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just to give you a recap, fill you in. Remember last week, John told us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to die. On three occasions in Mark's Gospel, in Mark 8.31, 9.31, and then just above the passage we read, Mark 10.33-34, Jesus has been telling his disciples what's going to happen. And in the Mark 10 passage, he gives the most detail. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, people are going to mock at me, they're going to spit at me, they're going to flog me, they're going to kill me, and then three days later, I will rise again. Now after each of these predictions, the disciples do something terribly wrong. In Mark 8, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him for talking about death. In Mark 9, the disciples argue with one another about who is the greatest. And in Mark 10, John and James come to Jesus with a strange request. And it's a request that kind of children sometimes have when they come to their parents. One of my children went through a phase of saying this. These are the choices. I will either have something out the treetop or I will play a game on your phone. Talk about being set up. Look at James and John in verse 35. He says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. James and John are after positions of power. They think Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and kick the Romans out and establish the kingdom of God with power and might. When Jesus does this, they want to be on the top table. They want to be at Jesus' right, and they want to be at Jesus' left. Now, James and John have got two things horribly wrong here. They think, they've got, first thing, they've got the nature of the king wrong. They think Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, is going to be a king who comes wielding a sword against his enemies. And secondly, James and John have got the nature of his kingdom wrong too. They think Jesus' kingdom is all about strength and might and force and dominance. I wonder what about you here today? What, do you ever get anything wrong about Jesus or his kingdom? Some of the things people get wrong about Jesus, people wrongly think that Jesus is not the Son of God. People wrongly think that Jesus is ultimately about our happiness and fulfillment. Some people get wrong and think Jesus didn't die on the cross, he, he just fainted. Some people get wrong, uh, Jesus is not about judgment, that's the God of the Old Testament, instead Jesus is about love. People wrongly think that Jesus doesn't talk about who we can marry. People wrongly think that Jesus is not the only way to God. That Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but instead it was his twin who was walking about just after he died so that people thought he was resurrected. Bizarre, but that's what people sometimes have said. Now getting things wrong about Jesus isn't like putting the wrong bin out on a Tuesday where I live. Now, if we get it wrong about Jesus, it's more like a bomb going off. 
And the reason being, if we get wrong who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do, then we will face eternal consequences. Jesus talks about this more than anyone. It's a place called hell. It's serious stuff. We do not want to be wrong about Jesus. Well, what about Jesus' kingdom? What do we get wrong about Jesus' kingdom? Some people wrongly say that following King Jesus means I'll have great health and lots of wealth. No. Some people wrongly say that following Jesus means I'll get all my wants. I'll get the job, the relationship, the family, the church community I want. Some people wrongly think that following Jesus is optional. Especially if Jesus says something that I think won't help me flourish. Some people wrongly think that following Jesus is about making me feel good, keeping me positive, and blessing me with good vibes, wherever that is. Some people wrongly think that following King Jesus happens when I've got time, when there's nothing on Netflix, or when I'm in a good place. Some people wrongly think following King Jesus is about my own private faith. I shouldn't try and impose it on anyone else because it might come across as unloving. Some people wrongly think that following King Jesus is about coming to church. But that's only when church is right for me. If church starts to change or doesn't meet my needs, I'll complain a lot. I'll move on. I'll just watch something on YouTube instead. It's far easier. But here's the obvious thing that we keep getting wrong, friends. And look right at me if you're not looking. Jesus' kingdom is not about me. And it's not about you. Jesus' kingdom is about Jesus. It's so simple. And if you think I'm patronizing you, I don't mean to be. But we get that wrong all the time. When we make our lives about our desires and our demands, we'll be disappointed when they don't happen. We'll be disillusioned because other people aren't taking your demands as serious as you are. And we'll be drained because of all the time and energy we're putting in to getting the things we want. You see, it's only when we come to, when our lives are about Jesus and other people, that we start to experience the good life. Now you might think, I don't believe you, Chris. Well, that's okay. Let's go on to point two, and hopefully it'll explain a bit more. So James and John have got wrong the nature of the king and his kingdom. It's not gone down well with the other disciples. Have a look in verse 41. We're told that the other disciples become indignant with James and John. Now, it's not because of their request. It's rather because they've got in, they've got their request in before the other ten. You see, James and John wrongly believe that Jesus is a king who will use power to bring the kingdom of God in. They wrongly believe that Jesus' kingdom is one of conquest through strength and might and force. And look how Jesus puts them beautifully right in verse 42. Jesus calls them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. So James and John, they want to use their position at the right and left of Jesus to lord it over people, to boss them about, to get their own way. 
Jesus says this is how the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the Gentiles, the kingdom of Rome operates. But it's not how my kingdom's going to operate. And it's still true today. The kingdom of this world operates on a top-down system. Those on top, whether it's the rich, the powerful, people in influential positions like politicians, they tend to lord it over those beneath them. And let's be honest, no one likes people telling them what to do, do they? Now you might have experience of this at work. Maybe your boss is a little less experienced than you. Or a bit younger. And definitely more incompetent. And they get to tell you what to do. They lord it over you. It drives you mad, doesn't it? And if you're a teenager, maybe you've got some pesky parents or those horrible teachers who lord it over you and boss you about and it drives you mad. But lording it over people can also happen when we look down on people, treating them unkindly because we deem them ourselves above them. It's basically any form of discrimination. When we treat people differently because of their age, religion, education, skin colour, nationality, sexuality, gender, class, disability, then we are guilty of lording it over people. And what's more heartbreaking is when this top-down system is played out in church. You don't, I'm not going to talk about them openly, but if you've been paying any attention, you'll know that there's been so many recent examples of church leaders using their position to lord it over the members of the congregation, causing great pain and hurt. Jesus says, doesn't he, may it not be so. Instead, look at verse 43. Jesus says, instead... Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So what Jesus is doing, he's turning this kingdom upside down. He says it's not about being on top, it's about being on bottom. It's not about lording it over people, it's about lording it under people. Jesus says the nature of his kingdom is service. It's not about what you can get, it's about what you can give. It's not about self-fulfillment, it's about self-sacrifice. It's not about looking inwardly, it's about looking outwardly to God and other people. Jesus' kingdom is not about self, it's about service. Now why? Look at verse 45, why? Because the nature of the king is to serve. Jesus says, doesn't he, in verse 45, for even the Son of Man, and again, that's a title that Jesus uses to talk about his kingly authority, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, friends, if anyone had claimed to lord it over other people, it's Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the universe. Jesus who sustains the whole creation just by his word. Jesus who is a greater authority than any king or queen that's ever lived. Jesus who is currently uniting all things to himself and making all things new. Yet this Jesus has a claim to lord it over people. And yet, Jesus has not come to be served, but to serve. 
Jesus has come to come, Jesus come to go low. Jesus has come to put himself under the cross. Why? To give his life as a ransom for many. Now for all the good in the line of witch and the wardrobe, there's one thing that C.S. Lewis gets horribly wrong. Now you remember Edmund is captured by the white witch. Aslan must die. Aslan must pay the ransom so Edmund can go free. And you've got that powerful and moving scene, haven't you? When Aslan, the powerful and ferocious lion, he puts himself under the white witch. His mane is shaved off. My wife wishes mine would be shaved off as well. He's tied up. He allows himself to be tied up. And then he's brutally killed. Aslan pays the ransom and Edmund is freed. But here's what Lewis gets horribly wrong. When Jesus pays our ransom, he's not paying it to the devil, the white witch figure. Rather, our ransom is paid to God the Father. You see, when we sin, the offense is against God. When we lord it over someone, when we look down on someone, when we put our desires ahead of other people, we offend God and we sin against them. And our sins mount up against us. There's nothing we can do to pay them off. There's no way that we can get rid of them. We deserve God's judgment for our sin. We need someone to pay the debt on our behalf. And the only person who could do that is someone who had the currency to do it. You see, when Jesus goes under the cross, when he dies, a beautiful transaction occurs. My sin is taken by Jesus And his sinless life is credited to me. He pays the debt. He pays the ransom price, not through gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Christ. And when I trust in Jesus, I am now free of my debt. I am free of God's judgment. I am free to serve others rather than myself. You see, Jesus is a king who comes to serve through death. And Jesus' kingdom is marked through service. Through, sorry, is marked by service through death to self. Friends, can I urge you this morning, don't be wrong about the nature of King Jesus or his kingdom. So if we said what the, the, the nature of King Jesus is and what his kingdom is like, How should we then respond to this servant king, Jesus? Well, I I once heard a story about Harry Redknapp, who was the manager of West Ham United. And he was getting really annoyed at one pre-season friendly. He'd taken West Ham, his West Ham team, to Oxford City Football Club. Not even Oxford United. They've got another team, a lesser well-known team. Now, Steve Davis, not the snooker player, was a West Ham supporter, and he went to watch his team. During the first half, Davis was given, uh, what's his name, Lee Chapman, who's the West Ham striker, a load of stick for, in quotes, being a donkey. Now, Redknapp had used all his substitutes at this point, and when another West Ham player got injured, he turned round and he said to Davis in the crowd, Oi! Do you play as good as you talk? 
Davis, who smoked 30 cigs a day, got his childhood dream to play for West Ham. Davis got to go on the pitch. He played with his heroes, and he was part of his beloved team. And to top it all off, Davis even scored in West Ham's 4-0 win. It's a true story as well. Friends, sometimes we can think following King Jesus is a bit like watching a sport where we get to criticise the manager and those on the team. We love to, from our lofty positions in the stand, to lord it over others, shaking our heads and shouting our displeasure at what's going on in the pitch. That is horribly wrong. Instead, listen to this, as Harry Redknapp reluctantly invited that man on the pitch. Jesus isn't reluctant. He's saying to us today, he's saying, come into my kingdom. Come and participate with me in the work that I want to do. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is inviting us into his kingdom to help with the work that he has to do. So how do we respond to that invitation Well, in Mark 11, and this is what we'll finish with, we had Will told us quite brilliantly, and others have mentioned it today, it's about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. And I want us to finish just with three responses to King Jesus. Let me just remind you, we'll read verse 7 to 10, just to remind us, Mark 11. So when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming Father David! Hosanna in the highest! Now how should we respond to King Jesus? Let me finish with the three S's. Serving, submission and celebration. See what I did there? Only a few people go, that's okay, don't worry. It's a slow burner, you get that one. Yeah, okay, doesn't matter. Um, So, serving. You see, when we get right, Jesus is a king who serves through death. When we get right, the Jesus kingdom is about dying to self and serving others. Then we can go to our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, our church gatherings, our marriages, our holidays, with a heart to serve And not to be served. You see friends. Jesus doesn't expect us to do anything. He hasn't already done. So how is your servant going this morning? I want to say. One of the strengths I think at ECC. Is the number of faithful servants. We have here. If you think just about a Sunday. For a Sunday to operate like this. Loads of people need to serve. They need to give up time and energy. To serve. And I'm so thankful for everyone who participates. To run our midweek groups, we need lots of people to serve. And I praise God for all the people who do serve. And there's always opportunities to serve at ECC. I would encourage you, don't wait to be asked. Okay? But get involved on the board in the foyer. Okay? Me and Jamie put that up. I'm not going to tell you how because people like who practically minded will have a fit. Okay? But we put it up. Don't lean on it too uh, strongly. But sign up. There's opportunities to serve. Do that. Sign up. Let's be a people who serve. You see, to follow King Jesus is to serve Jesus and others. Well, what about submission? Well, in verse 8, 
we had this, that people started spreading cloaks on the ground for Jesus. If you want to look at this a little bit more detail, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 9, this is what happens with King Jehu. The people put cloaks on the floor before him. And Bible commentators would say it's an act of submission to the king. Now this is the most important thing. We have to submit to Jesus as our king and saviour. Because Jesus is the only person who can pay our ransom. We don't want to get that wrong. Now you might say, hang on, if I submit to Jesus, won't Jesus, won't Jesus lord it over me? That's a great question. You see, this is where knowing the nature of the king is really helpful. Because Jesus is a king who serves through death, we can trust that Jesus' rule over our lives is going to be good and loving. Now, there will be times when what Jesus tells us to do goes against what you feel is true and what the culture feels is true. But it's knowing the nature of the king that's going to make submission possible. So I ask you today, have you submitted to Jesus as your king and saviour? Are there areas of your life, if we're being honest, that you're finding hard to submit to Jesus to? If there are, please speak to, to one of the leaders. We'd love to chat and pray with you at the end. You see, to follow King Jesus is to submit all our lives to his good rule. And then the final thing, what are we to do in response to Jesus? We are to serve him, we are to submit to him, and finally, we are to celebrate you see, the spreading of palm branches, it was a sign of victory over the enemy. Combined with the crowd shouting from Psalm 118, Hosanna, save us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven! You all looked at me so strange then. It's about to be a celebration, friends. We get this picture of real celebration the crowd see Jesus as this conquering king and they are celebrating. Now friends, as followers of Jesus, we have loads to celebrate. Jesus has given us victory over sin and Satan and death. We celebrate Jesus has paid the ransom for our sins. We celebrate his ongoing presence in our lives. We celebrate Jesus' loving rule over our lives. We celebrate being part of God's family here at ECC. We get to celebrate that we, we can do the work of the king in his kingdom. And we get to celebrate that one day we will be with him forever in glory. You see, to celebrate is not a private or quiet thing. And can I really ask you a challenging question as we finish? Would the people who know you say, that they've heard you celebrate anything about Jesus. You see, to truly celebrate is to let others know about the good things he's done for us. How can you share that celebration this week? Can I encourage you? We've got some fantastic opportunities in the week ahead. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, invite people along to those services. It's going to be amazing. You see, to follow King Jesus is to celebrate all he has done for us. So are you ready? Are you ready this morning 
to join King Jesus and his kingdom work? If so, let us follow King Jesus by serving, by submitting to, and by celebrating the King who serves through death. Let's not get this wrong. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the King that Jesus is. He's a King who's come to serve, and he serves through death. Thank you that he's shown us what his kingdom is like. It's a kingdom not about lording it over people, but lording it under. It's not about ourselves, but it's about serving others. We need help to do this because we fight against our urges to turn inward. So Holy Spirit, would you come this morning? Would you encourage us? Would you shape us? Would you change us? Would you help us to look out and serve others? And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we respond, shall we stand? You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.